Okay, we are back in the studio. A um, little bit different uh, this morning. Um, this is uh, Ordinary Courage. Uh, it's our first time actually doing an episode uh, using Zoom. So my my next guest that we have in the studio is uh, from Nova Scotia. You, I can't remember exactly where you're from, Jennifer, but... In Kentville, the Annapolis Valley. Okay. And um, yeah, so Jennifer is uh, <laughs> coming. She's three hours ahead and, and quite a few miles away. But I'm so excited um, to have Jennifer in the studio today. Oh, again, this is uh, the Ordinary Courage podcast with your host, Venetia Brielt. And yeah, I, um, I actually came across Jennifer's story on Instagram and it was actually um, through Paul Brandt's um, Instagram account. And he had uh, shared, I think it was one of the news articles uh, about your story with your daughter. And, um, yes. and I had read that and I, right away, I wanted to connect with you and just hear more about your story um, and, and just, hopefully in some way help to get your story out there even more. And yes. so I was thrilled when I was able to connect with you and you and I chatted, I think it was like about a week ago now. And yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm so excited to have Jennifer Ann Hallman. Did I say your last name right? Yes, you did. <laughs> uh, in the studio today. And so we are as her usual. We're just going to jump right in to Jennifer's story. And uh, her story centers all around her daughter. Uh, it has to do with human trafficking, uh, sexual exploitation, and uh, and I don't want to give anything else away, but I will just, uh, let's just, let's just jump right in wherever you feel comfortable starting. Sure. Um, I guess, uh, you know, Madison, um, we were a we were a middle class family. I'd have to say, I my girls were both born here in the Annapolis Valley, and uh, I at one point was dating a guy from Yarmouth, which is a couple of hours away, and we fell in love. And he wanted me to move there with him. He was a fisherman, so I knew that he wasn't going to be coming to the valley. So. I basically packed up my kids and moved to Yarmouth. We were a blended family. So we had um, my two children who were five and 10 at the time of my moving. Madison was 10, her little sister five. And, uh, and my partner had two children, a daughter who was eight at the time and a son who was 13. So we had a super busy household, but you know, I was blessed to be able to stay home and raise my kids. So, you know, it wasn't your atypical child that got reined into this disastrous lifestyle because, mm -hmm. you know, I was a stay-at-home mom and she had me and she had a, I won't say her dad wasn't really in the picture, but a father figure for sure. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a great life. You know, the kids were, went to school, they were educated, we traveled, we did a lot of fun things together. Um, Madison was... Um, I was an amateur boxer for 13 years and started coaching and I coached the Canada Winter Games 
in Whitehorse in 2007. And that same year, I decided I was going to open my own boxing club. And Madison was my star athlete. She was a two-time Canadian national champion. She had, in my opinion, she had Olympic potential. That was just me talking, not as her mom, but as her coach, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, she, she was just a phenomenal athlete and she loved she loved being in the boxing ring. It was really hard being her mom and being her coach. Cause you know, on the best of days, she didn't want to listen to me as her mom, let alone her coach, yeah. but you know, um, so, you know, life for, for the kids was, I think it was, and, uh, she was going to school. She was doing really good in school. And looking back, I, I still have yet to put my finger on, you know, and actually, I guess just for a second, I should say that this to me is like a huge puzzle. Um, I don't have all the pieces to this puzzle. I probably never will. But mm-hmm. the more I move forward, the more pieces I can find and I pluck pluck them in. I don't mm-hmm. think that will ever be completely finished, to be honest. But mm-hmm. so looking back, um, I believe it started with a girl that she was friends with a little bit older than her. And Madison um, had a huge soft spot for this individual's uh, little boy and babysat him quite often. And this in turn provided, um, I guess, the environment for her to skip school to because she would, you know, while this girl was off doing her thing with I'll call her E while E was off doing her things, you know, um, partying, whatever, Madison was staying at her house, babysitting for her. So it gave her the opportunity to do drugs, maybe to drink a little more, maybe to Mm -hmm. skip school a little more. And it just wasn't a helpful situation for Madison. So Mm -hmm. I actually What what was her age about that time when that started? Madison was probably 16, 17. Yeah, 16, I'm going to say, because her, it was actually one of her closest friends was her, one of her best friends Jessica it was Jessica's older sister okay. and and she just I think it was kind of like Madison spent a lot of time at Jess's house and the sister was there quite a bit and you know she, Madison spent a lot of time with the little fella and just loved him she loved kids and she was awesome with kids and so it just you know I mean it gave her a little extra money in the very beginning mm-hmm. but then it turned out to be well you know you don't I'm I don't think she ever paid her I think she just gave her weed and gave her the opportunity to crash there whenever she wanted so it just kind of worked out well mm-hmm. for her mm-hmm. I believe that's where it kind of got started um, because then I could see that she started hanging out with, you know, all the wrong people sort of. Mm -hmm. Um, She started hanging out with this young guy who I now know his father was actually is, I I say is, but I'm not sure if he is or was, but he was for sure a pimp and he was in Calgary. And I think that I didn't know any of this at the time. And so Madison was quite smitten with this boy. And uh, I believe that that probably also was where the conversation got started with respect to, you know, prostitution and only, I don't know how they put it out there to them. I don't, I'd Mm -hmm. be lying if I told you, because I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. understand how somebody that young believes it's okay to live a lifestyle like that or to drag other girls into this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But obviously it's instilled in them in a young age because he wouldn't have been much older than Madison 
And um, I believe that that's probably where the idea got put in her head. I also have a sneaky suspicion that perhaps that's where some of her contacts may have come from because she wound up out West. Um, So Madison actually had, um, she had a little girl and Callie was born um, in July of 2011. And just after Callie's first birthday was when Madison came to me and said, I'm going to move out West. We're going to go out West. I'm going to look for a job. And she was actually going out West with E, which I didn't like at all. And E had a relationship with um, her boyfriend and who was stepfathering her young son. But then they had just had a new son together who would have been right around the same age as Callie. So Madison's like, I'm going out West with them. Um, E's flying out with the baby. I'm going to drive with Spencer. We're going to drive across the country and I'm going to take Cal with me. And I didn't like anything about it, to be quite honest. I was really, I had a lot of serious reservations about her leaving. Mm -hmm. And, but I mean, at that age, she would have been, I'm going to say, how old was she? 20, 20, no, 19. 19 I think when she left 18 or 19 that's terrible that I can't remember but so she took Cal and packed her up and they left so um in October when I was still unsure of what was going on I'm like I don't like what you're doing I don't like it she's like mom if you're not happy with where I'm at why don't you just come for a visit and Mm -hmm. check to see that everything's okay Mm -hmm. so I said yep I'm going to do that. So I went out there and I was actually quite happy. The kids were happy. There was a lot of food in the fridge. The house was warm. The location where they lived was nice. Like it just, you know, it was, everything seemed to be going quite well. She Mm -hmm. got a job working in retail when I was there, which she didn't keep. I think that was just to maybe kind of throw me off a little bit, but you know, I was happy. And, Mm -hmm. um, The only thing I can remember being odd when I was there was that I remember E sitting at the table looking through Kijiji trying to find a new job. And um, she had made a comment and she was like, maybe maybe we should, you know, go on online and advertise that we'll suck a dick for a dollar because it it seems like that's what everybody on here is doing and they must be making money if they're if they're doing it. And I was just like, what? And I never registered with me because I, at the time, no joke, human trafficking, sexual exploitation, none of that was really right up on my radar. Why Mm -hmm. would it be, Mm -hmm. right? So you just kind of thought it was like an inappropriate comment. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Not really thinking anything of it. So Mm Then I was happy with how things were. I came back home and then it wasn't, I'm I'm trying to remember exactly when it was. Um, It was New Year's, I think, of of that year. And I had actually, um, well, before that, I actually, I got um, a Facebook message from one of Madison's friends and it was actually pictures that were advertisements on Backpage. And 
I wasn't really a hundred percent sure that it was Madison at first until I started really analyzing the pictures. And then when you analyze pictures, I mean, like I had her, I gave birth to her. I knew mm-hmm. it was my kid when I looked at the pictures mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was mortified by what I saw. She was advertising herself for, you know, sexual services online. And it was, you know, new in town and it was a different name and, I just, I, I actually, I couldn't even believe it. And when her friend said, you know, I, this was sent to me. Um, I love Madison. She's one of my closest friends in school. I thought you should see this. I thought you should know about this. So I called Madison out on what she was doing. As soon as I did that, she cut contact with me. You don't know what you're fucking talking about. You don't know what I'm doing out here. Like it's none of your business. And it was just, Mm -hmm. And I had to be very careful because at the time Callie was still there. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I tried, I, I kind of tried to, you know, be a little bit hardcore mom at first. And then I realized that's not going to work in this situation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, the next picture that I received was shortly after new year's. And I actually had like, I made a, a timeline on here. It was December 31st of 2013. Mm-hmm. And the picture that I received was when I first looked at it and it was from one of her friends over Facebook book messenger and I was like who is that and then I looked at it again and I realized it was Madison and it she had been beaten beyond recognition her eyes were black they were swollen shut they were her face was severely swollen um it I it really took me a minute to realize that it was her And so finally, I, at that point, I thought, okay, what, what the fuck is going on? Like, I need to figure that I need to, like, you you need to talk to me. Yeah. So initially she told me that what happened was that she was at a new year's party and she got jumped and by two guys and they thought she was a guy. And I'm, she's like, I had my hair up under a ball hat. They thought it was someone else. I'm like, Madison, there's no way that that happened to you. I said, first Mm -hmm. of all, with your hair up under a ball hat, I don't care. She was beautiful. I'm like, there's mm-hmm. no way anybody's, and she wasn't very big. There's no way anyone's going to mistake you for mm-hmm. a man that two men need to think that they need to mm-hmm. jump you. Mm-hmm. So anyways, then I I found out who she was with at the time. And he was actually um, a black man from, he was from the East Coast. And he was part of North Preston's finest. And before I say any more about that, people need to know where I stand. I'm not... You know, I, I have no issues with race. I have no issues with color. My partner of 17 years was a Mi'kmaq, um, you know, an Aboriginal man who was just beyond amazing, you know, and, uh, um, and you know, my granddaughter, Madison's um, little girl is biracial. Her dad's mm-hmm. a black man who is one of the most amazing men I think I know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, race has absolutely nothing to do with this. But when I talk about these guys from North Preston's finest, he was probably one of the biggest pieces of shit on the face of the planet. And that's just the way that it is. Um, I've been called racist because I call out North Preston's finest and I have no problem with that um, because I just say, you know what, 
I show them the picture of my granddaughter and I show them the picture of what the North Preston's finest people did to my kid. And I'm like, I'm not racist. I'm just real. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, and he said, North Preston is a community of some beautiful people. And I said, you know, I'm sure that that is the case, but if they don't Mm -hmm. like the stigma attached to their community, then perhaps they should clean it up. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the largest prostitution rings in our country is North Preston's finest. And this individual was linked in, with North Preston's finest. So, um, you know, he was the one that beat her within moments of her life. He broke her jaw, um, was one of her friends who I also believe was part of the lifestyle, but will not come out and tell me that or tell me her involvement. Mm -hmm. But she did tell me that she told this individual that if you don't let me come and take her to the hospital, then I'm going to call the cops. And Mm -hmm. so he's like, fine, come fucking get her. So they took her um, to the Edmonton hospital and uh, her jaw was broken. And the doctor basically said that if she would have taken one more blow to the face, she would have been six feet under not sitting there in front of him getting her face fixed. So she was beaten very like hardcore. So then I started doing more digging, more research, found out how, you know, how horrible what she was involved in, you know, was, but I had to accept it because I, my hands were tied. Literally, I couldn't yeah. do anything about it. She was so far away. She was halfway across the country. And yeah. what was well, I going to She's do? over 18 too. So it's right. You know, Which yeah. was even worse. So, you know, it just, the, I knew she was involved in the lifestyle. Um, you know, it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't what I had actually ever in, expected that would happen to my child. But, um, so it was, um, May 13th, Mother's Day weekend of 2013. And I had been in contact with Madison continuously, but I, I said to her, you know, like, are you okay? What's going on? And finally she cracked and she's like, no, I'm not okay. And you need to come and get Callie because if you don't come and get her, somebody else is going to take her. And so I flew out there and I actually ended up, I flew uh, into Calgary and I got delayed in Calgary, but my cousin who uh, didn't want me to take that trip by myself was living in Ottawa and she said, I'm going to fly out there as well. So she flew into Edmonton and then she drove to Grand Prairie where Madison was. And I was stuck in Calgary and I was corresponding with my cousin. And I just said like, what's going on? Like, have you found Madison? Because at the time Madison really had no fixed address that she was willing to share. Okay. And okay. And so just so I, so this is after the beating, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so now you're on a mission, basically, to go yeah. get Callie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So my my boyfriend at the time said, get on a plane, um, get out there, bring that baby home. And mm-hmm. he said, and if you can put Madison on the plane, you have a credit card, put her on the plane and bring her home with you. And I was like, okay. So I get out there and I'm, I get stuck in Calgary and... Um, my cousin is is trying to find Madison and it's just a shit show for lack of a better way of putting mm-hmm. it couldn't find her her numbers were always changing and mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. finally she reached Madison um, and what had happened was um, I think and now I believe this was an act of protection but what she did was she found a random nanny on Kijiji and she um, t- dropped Callie off at this woman's house with a diaper bag, with the clothes that she had on her back, with the one bottle she had or whatever in her bag. And, th- and Callie stayed there for 11 days. 
why this woman uh, never called CPS, why she didn't call the police, I don't know. This woman and I now, I believe she's a godsend and we're friends and we're, we're connected for life. I will, I will never think that she's any more than an angel for what she did for my grand, my granddaughter. Um, but she, she literally saved her life because if Callie would have wound up in the system out West, I probably never would have seen her again. And I believe that wholeheartedly. So um, my cousin actually, uh, Madison didn't even really remember where she was and it took her a while to figure it out. And so they finally, they went there and, um, the woman obviously didn't want to let Callie go. Madison owed her a lot of money. I mean, it was $50 a day for daycare, but $80 a day if they were overnight, she had to feed her, she had to clothe her, she had to do everything for that child. And, you know, I mean, she did it for 11 days and wanted her money and rightly so. So my cousin said, um, I'll be back. And she left and she went and she took a $500 cash advance off her credit card. And she went back and she said, we're good people. Um, please take this money in good faith. Please let me take Callie. Um, and I will make sure before we leave this province, you have the rest of your money in hand. And so God love her. She took the money and she let Callie go. And, um, when I saw Callie, it, it was the worst, it was the best feeling, but it was the worst feeling. I'll never forget it. I felt like I could stare through her eyes into her soul because she just, it was just that blank. There was nothing. It was her hair was so dry. Her, um, you know, her skin was so dry. She, her bum was so rashed. And I assume it was because, you know, there were times when Madison just, you know, I, from what I've heard, she would just have to leave her in her crib and she would just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and and nothing would happen. And, you know, it was, it was awful. So I think that that was, you know, my being there to bring her home was it, it, I, if that never would have happened, I don't think I would have Callie right now. Mm -hmm. So to me, I believe that was an act of protection that Madison put her with this woman I believe that we're all connected and we're, you know, we meet for whatever the reasons. And um, I just believe that, that, that I believe that woman is an angel for what she did to Cal. So I stayed in Grand Prairie for two days and Madison basically slept the entire time in the hotel. She looked horrible. She, I actually was face to face with two of the individuals that were putting her through all of this stuff, but didn't know a lot at the time. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and so, and I think when you're put in that, in that instant like that, you don't really know what to say. Now, Mm -hmm. looking back, I'm like, I know exactly what I would do. I know exactly what I would say. Yeah. Um, but they, I, I stayed with Madison in the hotel and my cousin. And then when the morning time came for me to, to leave and take Callie home, Madison said she would be there in the morning to say goodbye. And my intention was to beg her to get on the plane and bring her home with me, but she Mm -hmm. didn't show up that morning. So um, Callie and I went to the airport and then I brought her home. Um, It was touch and go for a lot of the rest of that time because Madison was, would leave. Like she, she 
went from Edmonton to Grand Prairie to Calgary to, I mean, she was in Red Deer. She was, she was everywhere. When 2014, she came home for a little while. I thought maybe she was going to actually, you know, get her shit together. She did. She got her GED. She was staying with um, her stepdad, with Tori's father for Mm -hmm. a while he found her a great job. She was working in, um, she, she aspired to be a nurse. She really wanted to be a nurse. She loved working with people. She loved, Mm -hmm. she had such a soft side and such a kind heart and that's what she wanted to do. And he actually got her a job working in, um, it was a private nursing home for elderly women that had early onset of dementia and Alzheimer's. And Madison was amazing there and absolutely Uh loved working there, albeit a short period of time. I really did think that she was going to, you know, she was on the right track to mm-hmm. turning her life around. How, how old was just, she at this point? Like how, when this was? Uh, 13, 20, she was just 21. Okay. So 2014, okay. just 21. So I really thought that she was going to, you know, start to turn her life around. And then um, just as soon as I thought that, she was gone again and said, I'm leaving. I'm going to New Brunswick. I really like it in Moncton. I think I'm going to stay there, but I knew she was dancing in Moncton, like stripping in Moncton and advertising herself. And I think she basically literally worked herself back across the country out West. She traveled by bus and she was in Brampton. She was in Mississauga. She was in Toronto. She was everywhere. And to rewind there when she first came back she came across the country as well Mm -hmm. um by bus and and she um she was in all these random places again Mm -hmm. and uh I you know she went missing I think it was the Christmas of 2014 I want to say and she was missing for two weeks I hadn't heard three weeks. I hadn't heard anything from her, no calls, Mm -hmm. no text messages, no nothing. But it was weird because this random person texted me from her phone and said, I said, well, who are you? I'm just a friend from her work. And she left her phone here at work. I'm just letting you know she's okay, but she just doesn't have her phone. Mm -hmm. So looking back on that now, I'm like, you're probably one of the control freaks that has complete control of my child and is not letting her make her own phone calls or send texts or whatever. And um, so I actually ended up calling the Peel Regional Police when she went missing that Christmas. I'm like, she's there somewhere. I don't know where. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, do you have a fixed address for her? And I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. Well, then we can't do anything. She doesn't have a fixed address. We can't go to her door. We can't knock on the door to see if she's physically okay. Then there's nothing we can do. And I said, well, how does that even make sense? She's mm-hmm. advertising herself on Backpage. Make an appointment with her. Go pick her up. Put her in jail. I don't care what you do, but find my kid. And they just, they wouldn't do anything for me. So to this day, I still don't know where she was. I know she was still in that general area, but I don't know mm-hmm. where she was. I don't know if somebody picked her up and they wouldn't let her go. I don't know if she was severely beaten. Maybe she was in the hospital. Like I have absolutely no clue. There's no, I have no timeline mm-hmm. of any conversation with her during that period, but I know it was wow. devastating to me because I had no idea where she was. And she would never tell me, even though we talked when she came home in 2014, she just said, there's things that have happened, things that I've gone through that I will never tell you because you don't need to know. And, you know, I just, I can't even fathom what she went through. Um, 
So she worked her way back across the country again and wound up back out West again, um, working and, you know, doing everything that she was doing. Um, I guess uh, was July 8th in 2015 when Andrew and I had been really struggling, my partner, because he just didn't, you know, he just saw her as being a young woman. We can't control what she does. You know, we've got the baby, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to look after her. That's going to be fine. It is what it is. She's going to do what she's going to do. And I'm, I just didn't want to accept that. And Mm -hmm. so I just kept trying to pull her out of the lifestyle that she was in and Mm -hmm. he wasn't willing to bring her home so that I could try to help to get her help because of course they lie, they cheat, they steal. That's the lifestyle they know they learn. Um, You can't, you can't judge them for that but he's like I don't want her in this house I don't want her anywhere here there's too many things she knows too many of the wrong people it was just one thing after another and and that made it really hard for me and then of course it made it difficult for Madison and that was shoved in my face that you know yeah you've chose him over your child and but yet at the same time when I wanted to reach out to try to get help for her she wasn't accepting of that so that made it very difficult like it just it was a shit show every day, all day for years, four years leading up to her death. And then we were trying to piece together our relationship and try to get back on track. And so we had have a trailer, um, had a trailer at a campground in Annapolis, which was like an hour away. And I was off for a couple of days during the week. So we went there just to sort of spend time with friends and, Andrew's like, you don't have to work tomorrow. Do you want to stay up another night? And I'm like, Leah, let's do it. So it was a Wednesday morning and we were um, making breakfast and Tori had tried to call my phone, uh, Madison's little sister and couldn't get through. Mm -hmm. So she called Andrew's phone and Andrew came to the kitchen in the trailer and passed me the phone and said, I don't know what she's saying. She's crying. She's screaming. I, you need to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And she told me that an RCMP officer had come to the door and Tori was just 16 at the time and said that Madison was in a really bad car accident out West and uh, that she didn't survive. And oh my gosh. that was probably the worst thing I think for me because it was it was for her that she was home that she was by herself and that she had to go through that phone call alone or that door alone and and then the phone call that that she made to me and um but when Andrew told me I just fell you know I fell to the floor he took the phone he talked to her more he told me more and I I I don't remember a lot, but I remember going to the car and I remember him calling our close friends and asking if they would go to the house and be with Tori. Yeah. And um, I remember he called the corner and, and um, we were trying to identify her and, and Andrew said, Jen, like, I don't know any of her tattoos. You're going to have to talk to him. And at first he said, I think she's, you know, five, five and she might be, you know, 110 pounds. And I'm like, no, like, that's not her. Thank fuck. That's not her. And, and then it was just, okay, well, we have some tattoos. And then as soon as you started telling me the tattoos, I'm like, yeah, like it, that's her. And 
I don't really remember the drive home. I remember Andrew calling, you know, certain people that I asked him to call and not just being able to function and being able to remember, but I remember being quiet and not saying anything and staring out the window. And I remember breaking down and crying and, and just not wanting it to be true. And I remember feeling horrible because I felt like I had wished it upon myself because I, I never watched the news. I didn't watch anything on TV because I felt like one day my child was going to be that Jane Doe that they found in the middle of nowhere and with no identification. And I, I felt like, you know, maybe this is just all my fault because I, I wish this on her. And so I, it was, it was nightmarish because she had to be flown home from out West and, you know, and there was just so much, so much to do. And, and it was just, it was horrible. And so I ended up having to make calls and talk to people, you know, the coroner and property and exhibit and police officers with her, you know, with respect to her accident. And looking back now, you know, dealing with Edmonton police force was disgusting. Um, It was gross. Uh, There was no empathy. There was no, the police officer was just, he was a moron and he never should have a job um, dealing with, you know, obviously he has no idea what it's like to lose a child. So, or how to deal with somebody that's lost a child. Um, I wanted them to go to her apartment because she had just moved into a new place in Edmonton and she Mm -hmm. had done a walkthrough with me with video. And Mm -hmm. I wanted, you know, them to go there because I knew there was also somebody living there that I'm pretty sure was part of that lifestyle. And um, anyways, they, they wouldn't go to her apartment. I don't remember why, but they didn't, they wouldn't, they never did. And then finally, when we found the landlord of the apartment complex and he agreed to go there, it was empty and everything was gone. Like all of her things were gone. There was nothing left there. And um, so I got a, I got a box back from property and exhibit um, when, uh, when she passed, they put all of her personal effects in, which was like her lipstick and her mascara and whatever was in her purse at the time. And he had told me, you know, her purse is destroyed. I don't really want to send that to you. I don't think you need to see that. And I was like, I'm fine with that. Just send me what you have of her, of her things. And I was so shocked when I, pulled it out of the box the last two things encased in plastic were her cell phone and her cell phone charger and Madison's phone was always locked and um, I remember cutting that out and turning it on and there was no passcode there was no nothing and I had full access to everything on that phone and um, I turned it off and I put it away and I thought when I'm home by myself, I'm going to look through the phone. I'm going to look mm-hmm. at that phone. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what I did. I don't remember now how far after her death or the funeral or anything that was, but I remember I was home by myself and I went to my room and I pulled this phone out and I started scrolling through everything on this phone. And I actually could see the conversation that she was having with the individual the night that she died 
And the thing that pisses me off the most is that nobody in the paper will quote me as saying this. Nobody in any radio will quote me as in saying this. The man that killed my child was a pimp, not a pimp, a John. He was purchasing sex. He had picked my child up to purchase sex from my child. And I could see the whole conversation. They had met before. She knew who he was. Um, he's like, I'm not driving this vehicle. I'm picking you up in this vehicle. I'll be there at this time. Um, how much is it still this much? I knew, I know it's fact it's on her phone. So yeah, he was a John. Um, I don't know. I've heard mixed stories. I know his, um, ethnic origin, I believe is East Indian or it's, it's something it's East Indian. It's Iranian. It's something because of his name. I only saw his name when I got the collision report. And that's the first time that I saw his name. She was calling him Francesco, um, which was not his name. So obviously he was hiding a lot from her as well. Um, I've heard that he was involved in drugs. I've heard he was involved in prostitution as well. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but I did hear that. Um, he was driving 125 in a 50 zone under heavy construction going down White Avenue when she was killed. Um, when Madison was at, I don't know how to say this, when she was for viewing purposes, presented for viewing purposes, and the first time that I actually ended up getting to see her, she had fingernails that were at least an inch long. And I don't remember the color, but Tori tells me they were bright red. And I remember taking her hands when she was laying in this casket and looking at her fingernails and not one of them was broken. And I thought to myself after the fact that that's very odd because if I was in a vehicle with somebody that was doing 125 in a residential area that was marked 50, and he came around a corner that fast, I believe my initial instinct would be to grab something mm -hmm. to hang on to, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I know how fragile those nails are. And in my mind, there's no way that that ever would have happened without her busting off at least two or three of those fingernails. And so that in my head leads me to believe what she, you know, and the coroner told me her fifth vertebrae was broken. So she was killed instantly, but you know, was she even alive when she was in the car at the time of the car accident? You know, did he try to, you know, do something that she didn't like or was uncomfortable with, or did he want her to do more? Did he kill her before she died? Did he have to make it look like a car accident? Like, you know, I don't know. Those are questions that I will never have the answers to, but I just don't believe that it, you know, I just don't believe it's, right for me I don't have a good feeling about how she was killed and so the, did he survive did did the driver he survive? they said that he had gone to the hospital initially with non-life-threatening injuries but he died a month after the car accident almost a month to the day I think he passed away on the 6th of August and so, and he had been in a coma. They put him in a coma, I think, mm -hmm. because he had, I think he had some brain trauma going on. Don't know. I, the police never told me anything. All they said was that he died. 
And as soon as he passed away, the com the, the it was it was done. It was over. Like their investigation was done. It was complete. And I was I was mortified by that. So, anyways, I kept scrolling through the phone, mm-hmm. and uh, I read so much. Just I wanted to I wanted to call half the numbers on that phone and say, you know, do you have a wife? I know what you did. You, you paid my child for sex. Like you're a piece of shit. Like I wanted to call every number on that phone that, that I could see that was relating to, you know, her and them being a client of hers. (laughs) And so I looked at the phone probably for a couple of hours and then um, I'll never forget this day ever. I turned the phone off. I put it away. I I went down the hall. I was going to go get a drink, get ready for bed And I came to the top of the stairs and it was like this, just this overwhelming force was like hands on my chest, just saying like, mom, please don't stop. Don't stop looking at my phone. Don't stop, please, please. And I, I can't explain it. It was like a voice I was hearing in my head. It was her telling me like, please just don't stop looking, mom. Yeah. And I looked up at the sky and I was like, well, what the fuck do you want me to find? Like, what is it I'm looking for, Madison? And it was just kept resonating in my head. Mom, don't stop, please. So I turned around and I went back and I got the phone and I sat on that phone for two and a half more hours until 1.30 in the morning. And I found it was stuck in with Facebook messages with a conversation she was having with E who she was still in touch with out (laughs) West and E was looking for her. Where have you been? Why aren't you, why can't I find you? Where are you? Why aren't you talking to me? (laughs) And there was a voice recording. So obviously Madison didn't want to text or didn't want to type. So she just did a voice recording to E and she said, um, she said, uh, yeah, I was, I was really fucked up. I was in the Grand Prairie hospital for four days. Um, She said, Marcus is fucked. She said, uh, Mark, uh, Dougie, Brandon Henderson, and another white boy took me out to a range road. Um, She said, they, they really fucked me up, girl. She goes, I'm a mess. She said, they, set my hair on fire. They burnt me with cigarettes. They burnt me with lighters. They stole everything I had. Um, when I heard that voice recording, I immediately called the Grand Prairie police. And I said, this is what I found on her phone and you need to fucking do something about it. And lo and behold, don't you suppose I Googled the names and I found the names and I went on Facebook and I found the individuals that were tied to these names Mm -hmm. and, um, they knew every one of them, every one of them was a criminal. Every one of them had, um, you know, criminal past, past, present and future. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, the police officer said, it's really funny that you should send me that because, you know, a couple of those individuals were just in this detachment within, you know, the last couple of days. So they're, you know, they're familiar faces to us. So, um, anyway, that opened up and launched the first investigation, um, that they did, which lasted a year. 
um, and no, no justice was ever served. They basically, what the crown said, they told what the police told me that the crown said was that um, Madison's not here to point fingers. And um, because of that, there's nothing that we can do. So they closed her file. So after knowing that and knowing who these individuals were and finding Mm -hmm. them and, and other crimes they had committed. And I went, that was the first time it was June 18th, I think of 2017, I was asked to speak at, um, at a, a conference in Yarmouth and tell Madison's story. And the mm-hmm. conference was basically about sexual, uh, sexual exploitation and human trafficking. Um, and uh, I said, yes, but the only way I'm going to tell her story, if it's raw, it's real, it's uncensored. Like I want to tell her story. And, and so I, they said yes. And so I did. And my daughter was there and she, and she Facebook lived it. And I started the presentation by saying, and I quote, and then I read her voice recording uh, word for word. Um, after I did that presentation the next day on social media and then days to follow all the trolls come out of the woodwork. And it was, it was gross. The people that did this to her, the people that were responsible for this, the people that may not have partook, but people that knew what happened, everybody was just coming out. And so finally, um, uh, after, I think it was the day after the presentation, I got a message from a girl who is actually from Yarmouth that Mm -hmm. I knew that was friends with Madison, that was living out West. If you can follow all this, that was very good friends with one of these particular individuals. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, Dougie's not a monster. He had nothing to do with this. He wants to take a lie detector test. He wants you to know that he, he knows who did it. He knows why they did it, where they took her, what they did. He's not willing to name names, but he wants, you know, he wants to know you to know that he didn't have anything to do with it. And I basically said, you know what? He's a fucking piece of shit because he knew exactly what happened to my daughter. If he knows what happened to her, whether he was there or whether he was not there, which if Madison says he was there, I believe he was there Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. know that and to be privy to that information and to hold that inside and to be able to live with that on a daily basis. He's just as fucked up as the people that partook in this, whether he did or didn't. And I said, if he wants to take a lie detector test, he's talking to the wrong person. He needs to march himself into the GP detachment of the RCMP and tell them exactly what he knows. And um, that never happened. And that launched the second investigation because I called them up and said, this asshole has come forward. This is what he said. This is what I know. And I sent screenshots. One of them basically threatened my life on social media and uh, on my daughter's page and said that Madison was a junkie whore, a piece of shit. She got what she deserved. They hope they pissed and shit on her grave. Um, And your mother's going to die a slow, painful death, just like your sister. And, you know, I, I just can't wrap my head around how the RCMP can read all that that was stuck on social media and say like, there's nothing that they can do about it. Um, But I did send them another shit ton of information that I had found and the correspondence from these individuals. And again, after another year long investigation, nothing was ever done. 
And so that's when I basically just turned into, you know, the mom that just was not going to shut up about this because this is happening to too many young women. And these people are responsible for what happened to my child. Um, I was able to obtain her medical records from the Grand Prairie Hospital, which out there, I, I, I now know that some of the major hospitals are linked together. So I did get other information, um, medical records. The medical records backed up everything that happened to her. She was brutally assaulted, sexually assaulted. So my guess would be that every one of them sexually assaulted her, um, you know, based on what was written in the report. Yeah, she was burnt with cigarettes. She was she had multiple contusions. She was beaten very badly. Um, she was in that hospital for four days. Um, nobody contacted me. They asked her every day based on what they've wrote in her records if she wanted to contact the RCMP and she said no. Would you want to contact the RCMP? You know what I mean? If they beat her that badly based on things that came out of her mouth, you know, if she ratted them out to the police and they got in trouble, they probably would have put a gun in her mouth and pulled the trigger. Like, you know, and I just, I can't wrap my head around how anybody can be be that way like they're not human they don't deserve to walk the planet they don't deserve to breathe the air around us they don't deserve to live a life like i i looked up a few of them on social media and saw you know one of them went off somewhere sunny and hot southern destination got married had a child like you know i just i I, you know, I don't have that with my child. I can't, you know, my granddaughter's growing up without a mother because of what these pieces of shit did to her. And they're off living the high life and still continue to treat women, you know, women in this manner and, and put women through this. Like it, it's just mind boggling to me to think that our justice system is that screwed up that they can't, you know, put these people behind bars for what they did to my daughter and it shouldn't be that you know I guess maybe that's why I decided to speak out because she is gone but she's not going to be silenced and I'm you know her story needs to be told her story needs to be heard um, because the people that did this to her they just you know it's mind-boggling to me that, that they that they got away with it um I always raised my children to um, believe, you know, I was adopted. My brother was adopted um, as, as young infants. My mom could never have kids. I was blessed to be able to have babies. I raised my girls to understand that abortion is not a means of birth control. And if you are blessed, you know, in your relationship or however, to be able to carry a child, then we'll figure it out together, whether you want to keep that child or whether you want to find that child a proper home. But there's people that can't have babies that will provide a wonderful home for a child if you're blessed to be able to give birth. And I always try to instill that in them. I know just by the records that I obtained from the Grand Prairie Hospital, Madison had at least seven abortions. And that's those are the only ones that that I know about based on those hospital records. I know there was clinics that I, I, I wanted to, to reach out to and did, and I knew they did send me paperwork that I could have obtained her records, but I didn't have it in me. I didn't have it in me to see that anymore. I, I just, I, she was, 
she was tortured beyond tortured she was tortured mentally she was tortured psychologically she was tortured physically she was brutally beaten you know I only know two times that she was brutally beaten and I know that there was definitely more and I just I I can't I can't wrap my head around that how people can do that to another human being I just I I it's devastating to me to think what my daughter went through and that she had nobody like you know I remember at one point one of the police officers here said to me you know it looks towards the end like Madison you know might not have been uh involved in the lifestyle but like she was recruiting and it was almost it was almost like she was trying to make me feel like you know she's not a prostitute anymore. She's actually part of the problem. And I just looked at her and I said, like, if you had a choice to be told that you were to make X amount of money in a day, be it a thousand dollars or $1,500 a day and that you had to go and you had to freaking have sex with men that grossed you out, that you had to suck dicks, that you had to take it in the ass, that you had to do all this shit to get money or could you be that person that was recruiting these girls what would you pick like seriously what would you pick because I know what I would pick you know I know what I would do like I would want to be that person that was going to find the girls because I didn't I wouldn't want to have that done to me and and if I had tolerated that enough and this was the only way that I knew I could get away from that you're happy right I would I would be doing that I, I'd recruit as many fucking women as you wanted me to because that's just that would to me would be the easy way out really and who doesn't want to pick the easy way out when you're involved in that so you know what like you need to stop judging because right now you're judging and that's so not cool like I just you know Madison was smart and Madison was beautiful and Madison could make choices and she made all the wrong ones unfortunately and got connected with all the wrong people unfortunately but somewhere along the way, there was also a point in time where she did not have the liberty to make those choices because they were being made for her. <laughs> and I don't care what anybody says, you know, by then you just do what you need to do and your brain goes to survival mode and we all have it. We just, you know, yeah. thank yeah. the good Lord that we don't all have to be forced to be put in that position. <laughs> but that's what, you know, she was forced to do do I think she was trying to get away from that lifestyle? Absolutely. 150% I do, because I saw those messages on her phone. Mm -hmm. I saw those, you know, emails. She was applying for random jobs like Tim Hortons or, you know, a, an office secretary or whatever she was trying. Mm -hmm. And it's just unfortunate that she never managed to pull herself out. But at the same time, do I think she would have been the daughter, you know, that I gave birth to, the daughter that I raised? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. She wouldn't have been the same person ever. After everything she went through, there's just, there's no way that she would have been the same Madison. Like, her life was changed for the, for forever. And her mindset, her self-esteem, her everything, you know, like... <laughs> And her father was a severe alcoholic and Madison loved him unconditionally. 
regardless of what his lifestyle was or the Mm -hmm. type of person that he was or the things that he said or the things that he did, you know, that, um, and it was horrible. Do I think that affected her? Absolutely. I think that affected her. I think that she struggled to find love. I think she struggled to find happiness with a man, uh, a father figure in her life. And I think that that was actually played a huge part in the route that she went down because of the attention from all of these men Mm -hmm. and the attention from the people that got her involved in this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Madison had a sassy fun side and just wanted party and live life and you know do things to the fullest and it was always you know 100 mile an hour with Madison it was never mm-hmm. you know let's let's crawl let's walk let's run it's like bam I'm doing it and mm-hmm. I think that's what happened to her and she just got so tied up in in these moments and these parties and this and then there just came a time when yeah well we provided all this for you and now it's time for you to pay us back and this mm-hmm. is what's going to happen whether you like it or not And, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like it just, I, I don't understand how I call it, you know, these girls are mind fucked. There's no other way to put it. Mm -hmm. You can put a a proper term on it if you want, but that's my term. And they are mind fucked for as long as they are involved in this Mm -hmm. lifestyle. They Mm -hmm. are cut down. They are put down to the lowest of the low. They have no self-esteem. They have no self-worth. They have no sense of, I can get out of this. I can be a better person on the other Mm -hmm. side because everybody's telling them right from the get-go that, you know, you're just a piece of trash. Look what you're doing. You fuck men for a living. Like, you know, nobody's going to want you. Like, you just keep doing what you're doing because, you know, so how do you pull yourself out of that? How do you pull yourself out of that hole and believe that you're going to be better than, you know, what somebody is telling you you're, you're never going to be better than, you know, Mm -hmm. and Madison was in that place. Madison was having a very difficult time um, getting away from that because she just kept falling back to it because that's what she knew. And if the minute that somebody made her feel like she wasn't any better than that, then that's where she turned again. You know, like I know she tried to get away from it. I do, but Mm -hmm. you know, I can't imagine what a struggle that was for her, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and for any woman. And so I, you know, after I, the first time that I spoke out about it, Um, And then people started seeing her presentation, the presentation that I did telling her story. And then it just went from, it just had a snowball effect. And Mm -hmm. then people were reaching out from all over to say, you know, I've heard your story. I want you to tell it to this group. I want you to tell Mm -hmm. it to that group. And then it just, I I just finally said, you know what, this, you know, I'm on a crusade, I guess, and I'm just going to keep going. And and I'm going to keep telling her story and I'm going to just, you know, like, I'm just going to keep screaming at the top of the mountain at the top of my lungs so that people hear and they listen and, and they're educated and, you yeah. know, and I can't believe that when I first started this, I, I said, if I could help one woman get out of this lifestyle, if I could help one woman believe in herself you know, if I could give this one girl something that my child didn't have or wasn't fortunate enough to have, you know, to pull her away from this lifestyle and save her life, then I know that Madison did not die in vain. 
um, that her that her the loss of my child is going to help somebody else. And I know now beyond a shadow of a doubt that that one has turned into hundreds. And, and, you know, and so for me, it's, it's bittersweet, right? It's, it's bittersweet to think that I had to take that loss to turn it into something that was so positive, not just for my community or my province, but for my country. And, you know, and I I won't stop speaking about it. I won't stop sharing and I won't stop telling her story because I know that it's going to help so many more women mm-hmm. and you know i can scroll through the messages in my facebook messenger for days that the messages that i've got from women that you know have been caught up in this lifestyle that can't get out that have yeah. got out that are now you know getting back in or that are out and are staying out or yeah. you know moms that are messaging me saying i think this is going on with my daughter like yeah. i need your help i yeah. need to you know yeah. so it's it is. It's it's hard. And and my youngest daughter said to me, um, you know, do you know how Nanny Bev tells us that, you know, everybody ha- is put on this earth for a purpose? And she said, maybe what Madison went through um, was to turn this into your purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as sad as that is. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's a fourth year psychology student and she's you know, giving me advice and she's only 22 years old, but she's seeing things that, you know, and putting things to me in a different light, which Mm I, I firmly believe now that this is the path I was Mm -hmm. meant to take. And Mm -hmm. it's really sad because it's ended my 17 year relationship with my partner. And it's put me two hours away from my granddaughter. And, you know, it's, but I know that those are small hurdles for me. I know that at the end of the day, I've left that relationship, but I'll come out on the other side, a better person. And I'll learn so much more about myself. And, and had I not left this path I'm on probably would have come to an abrupt end. And I, I know that I'm here now because that wasn't supposed to happen. I'm supposed to be on this journey and I'm supposed to be sharing her story and, I won't stop sharing her story until, you know, more has happened and Mm -hmm. already Mm -hmm. so much has happened. And I, I had to, um, I was just recently nominated for this Gwangju prize for human rights, which is an award based out of South Korea, which I I seen that Jen. Oh my goodness. I still can't wrap my head around that. And that already has um, in turn opened up so many more doors for me Mm -hmm. that I'm just, I'm blown away by that. But I'm like, so now there was an article in the paper in South Korea. So Madison's story is being read by probably hundreds and thousands of Korean young women. So, you know, I mean, that's, I'm mind boggled by yeah. all of it I really am but it's it's hard because at the end of the day you tell the story I still don't have my beauty beside me you know what I mean like and my granddaughter still has to be raised and grow up without her mom and I still live with you know what happened to Madison plays over in my mind random times every mm-hmm. day 
and mm-hmm. I'll never be able to get away from that. But, you know, I also believe that she's with me. And I believe when mm-hmm. I'm at my weakest moments that all I have to do is speak to her and I'm calmed for whatever the reason I believe her energy will, will be in and always is with me when I need it. And, you know, it's, it is, it's a hard pill to swallow. It really yeah. is. But, you know, knowing that you're making a difference is, uh, you know, is amazing. And to think that I've also connected with Paul Brandt, who is in Calgary. And Mm -hmm. that to me is just, that's another amazing story all Mm -hmm. on its own, because what happened to my child happened out West. And Mm -hmm. here we are Mm -hmm. in a beautiful community on the East coast. And you just would never think that Mm -hmm. that stuff would happen here, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. our province is one of the worst in the country, you know? So it's, it's really sad, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'll just keep telling her story and, you know, mm-hmm. explaining what happened to her and the more people that will listen and the more people will reach out and, and, you know, I know it's, I know it's helping. And I yeah. think that's one of yeah. the only things that, that gets me through, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, Jen, I'm, I don't even I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm just, and I know like you and I talked already like last week and stuff, but I, I guess my, my biggest hope is I just, what all I really wanted to do here today was to be able to just really hold space for this, for you. And yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> it's sorry. a hard. It's a hard. It's a. It's a hard thing. It's a. It's hard. Yeah. Like it. It really is. Like you. And I know on a different level, you can relate to a lot of things that I'm saying. And yes. you know it. It when you meet somebody that's been there, or you meet somebody that, you know there's times when I actually wonder, would I have even wanted her to survive? Would I have wanted her to be here today? Because she was so tortured. And would it be right for her to have to live the rest of her life like this? You know, I talked to one girl who told me that her life is completely changed direction. And she has a wonderful, caring, loving partner. But she said, I can't, I can't take a bath. I can't have him be around me because I had one client that always wanted me to be in the tub with him and didn't go into, um, you know, much detail, but I knew that, you know, that takes her right back to those days and and the things that happened to her. And she said, it never goes away. Like you can live the happiest life that you want and think yeah. that it's going to be all good, but it never goes away. And yeah. would I want Madison to live like that? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I would, I would give, I would give, as they say, a thousand tomorrows to have one yesterday with her, you know, like, but I know that's never going to happen, but I just don't know that I would want her to go through her life, you know, not believing that she ever deserved any, any better than what she had already got because of the lifestyle that she had lived. 
and it's heartbreaking and it's very sad and I you know I, I don't understand it mm-hmm. I had I had asked women women had asked me ministers asked me I've spoken at churches I've mm-hmm. spoken to a Catholic women's church group and I remember one of the first things I said to them was you know thank you for having me to here to share Madison's story and that it was hard for me to to speak in a church because I didn't believe I had faith because what God takes your child from you and what God puts any young woman through that kind of torture if there really is a God why why would he put a child on that that type of path and I'll never forget the woman one woman looked at me and she said clearly you have faith because if you didn't have faith you wouldn't be here and I think that that's stuck with me through everything like Mm -hmm. do I have faith in the justice system yes and no in the moments that I dealt with everything no I didn't you know the police didn't help me the RCMP didn't help me nobody did anything there was never any justice served for my child but Mm -hmm. I know now that because I'm speaking out and because Mm -hmm. of everything that I'm saying Mm-hmm. there have been changes made mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there will continue to be change made mm-hmm. is it coming yeah. fast enough absolutely not <laughs> yeah but it's it's coming yes and, yeah and you know and I, and I know that now um mm-hmm. so yeah I guess there's this little bit of faith floating around in me somewhere because if there wasn't I probably wouldn't continue to speak because I would mm-hmm. probably feel that mm-hmm. it was pointless mm-hmm. and absolutely and I don't I don't think it's pointless because Mm -hmm. I do, I do see, I had to, I think that's what I was going to tell you. I had to sit down and do a CV of a list of my um, accomplishments as they Mm -hmm. want it called. And the woman says to me from, um, I think it was Triton, Triton or Triton university in, in um, state university in Texas was an English professor, which I had to speak to this morning. Mm -hmm. And um, she had questions to ask and stuff for me. And, you know, when I had to sit down and, and make a list of the things that I've done, I told her, I'm like, I really, I really don't know. I I don't have dates. I don't, cause I, I don't Mm -hmm. keep track of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I actually said dates aren't important. So she said, put a generalization. So I said from 2017 to present, and I had to actually Google my own name and Google Madison's name to go through and find out the majority of the places that I had actually spoken. Mm -hmm. And I, I broke down because I thought like, I just, I've done so much and I, I really can't believe I'm very humbled by you know, everybody that's asked me to speak and, mm-hmm. and this tell Madison's story, but, you know, things are happening because mm-hmm. of the fact that I was strong enough to stand up yeah. and tell her story yeah. and continue to tell her story. And mm-hmm. I was, I was actually really, I did, I had a meltdown on my bed because I mm-hmm. couldn't believe the things that I have already done. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm very thankful for that because I know it's helped so many people already. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, full steam ahead, right? Yeah, They're not going to shut Jen. me up. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't care. I won't stop talking. So yeah. it's been, uh, I'm so grateful to have you on today. I, I'm really, um, thank you for taking the time to, to, to just like, it's such a massive, this, like, it, 
it's consumed such a an incredible part of your life and I know um, just the love that we have for our kids and you know and stuff like that and I I'm so I'm just really grateful I I don't even I don't even really know that there there are words you know to adequately express um I'm I'm at a loss for words I, I am I'm at a loss for words I'm I'm just grateful that you reached out to me um, and that her story touched you enough of what you read touched you that you would reach out to me because, you know, it's happening where you are. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, it's so very important. And I know, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, when I post something, there's girls that know Madison, there's girls that know what happened to her. There's girls that can relate to what happened to her. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it needs to be, the story needs to yes. be told and it yes. needs to be yeah. shared and yeah. people just need to realize that it's real. Like it's yes, time we pull absolutely. our heads out of the sand and, yeah, totally and realize true. it's real. Yeah. But I'm just very grateful that you reached out to me and, and that you're, you were willing to do this mm-hmm. for Madison and absolutely. for me and for yeah. all the other women that need totally. to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, Absolutely. We'll, um, we'll stay like, I, I really want to stay in touch with you. Like I hope you and I can oh, for sure. just, yeah, stay connected. And cause this is, um, I, I really, it's, it's so important to me to get behind this issue and push it and to keep it in the light. And, and so I, you know, I'm sure you and I, I know we'll be talking again, have you on the show again at a later time too. And, you'll have to let me know when you're coming to Calgary so we could do, you know, when that, <laughs> like when that Atlantic bubble gets yeah. lifted, girl, <laughs> I've been spending so much on my WestJet MasterCard right now. I'm going to, I guess I have places to go. Like yeah. I have places to go. Like so Paul uh, Branch is on the top of my oh, list. Awesome. Venetia is on the top of my list. You're awesome. Like, you know, yeah. I like I have, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I actually am um, the, the nanny that, um, that Marie that had Callie for 11 mm-hmm. days um was a young a young woman and mm-hmm. now is a, a mom of children mm-hmm. of her own and mm-hmm. and I told her we will meet one day yeah, and yeah. that's a promise and mm-hmm. so yeah I I have to come out yeah. west because I yeah. have people that I need to see so yeah, yeah. and awesome. you'll you're gonna you'll be right up there that's so awesome. yeah that's awesome. yeah thank you so Jen can... for yeah for being a part of the uh ordinary courage podcast and i'm just really yeah really grateful for your story and just your and the work that you're doing like how you're using this you know to just really highlight this area and this issue and is uh we'll um we'll wrap that up absolutely today and uh i'm gonna get in touch with you after this here and maybe get some links and stuff like that for you that we can plug into the show notes and yeah for and sure stuff like that and how people can get a hold of you and reach out to you and stuff like that and yeah. uh we just uh i know that this was a a pretty intense episode and i know that it's probably are going to be triggering for a lot of people Uh, obviously we'll be uh doing our due diligence on our end to just really uh 
put those warnings out there you know it's explicit content and stuff like that and um and we're gonna have uh numbers and stuff like that uh you know links uh numbers where you can go if you are um in a situation that you don't want to be in uh we'll have some resources in the show notes if you know someone uh that is caught up in this we'll have res resources in the show notes um and just feel free to reach out reach out to jen reach out to myself reach out um because just like Jen has talked about too, I know, I know that we can do more and I know that we can do better. And, um, and, and we need to, we need to, and we need to keep absolutely. the light on this issue. Yeah, absolutely. And so I just thank you all for listening today. Uh, please share this episode of the ordinary courage. Um, if nothing else, just to keep the light on this issue and on this story and uh thank you again everyone for listening for downloading uh, the ordinary courage podcast you can find us on spotify apple Podcasts. uh you can go to my website venetianbrill.com find the episode there uh, once again uh we are recording uh from simba creative studios here in calgary alberta and uh yeah just really grateful um to you Jen and uh, thank you again and thanks to all our listeners and uh, yeah we'll have all this information packed into the show notes thanks awesome. everyone